Welcome back to the flip side, folks. Galen Clavio here, along with Brian Moritz. Brian, it is the 17th of October. We are on the wrong side of October, yet it was 84 degrees outside today. We actually celebrated by eating dinner on the porch and then going out and getting ice cream with the baby and the dog. What did you do to celebrate these uh, I guess truly Indian summer sorts of temperatures. Well, we had rain all day, so I and I had a late class, so I, I you know, oh. taught taught uh, integrated media students how to write. Um, but tomorrow we actually have the eighty-two degree day, and I feel like I came up with a, a better definition of Indian of Native American summer than uh, we <laughs> in, had in, in, indigenous summer, indigenous summer than we had when we discussed this a few months ago, and because <laughs> it came up, it, it, it's what we're doing now. It's when you have to turn the air conditioning on after you've had to run your furnace. So yeah. we've had a couple of nights where we've had to run and not just run the furnace to like take the chill out, but like have a consistent like right. day or two where you run the furnace, but then you have to switch back to the air. I think that's a good qualification for Indian summer. And I think we hit that. Um, but no, we're, uh, we're bouncing back. Um, I was just telling Katie before the call, uh, your wife and I were trading stories about you. Um, she was telling me some awesome, about your awesome dad jokes, which I think we need to talk about at some point. I mean, maybe maybe not this week, but I think, I think we can dedicate a couple episodes to this. I think that would have to be a subscription only show. We we need to charge for that that, sort of thing. That's for the insiders. But no, I was, I I was saying earlier, my daughter, uh, she just had her tonsils out 10 days ago. And Mm -hmm. so she went back to school today. So we're kind of finally getting back into a day-to-day, uh, uh, everyday groove. Although I got to tell you, she had the best recovery possible for this. That's good. It was like she's had colds that were worse than her recovery oh. from tonsils. So we got super, super lucky. And I got to watch the new My Little Pony movie, The Legend of Evergreen, a conservative 25 times in the past 10 days. Well, so. that's good. I'm glad that... I don't know. I, I you know. I, I will say it's not as good as Rainbow Rocks, the earlier Questier Girls movie. That's definitely got better songs and a li- catchier songs and much more, much more of an accessible plot. The Legend of Evergreen kind of bounces around. The music isn't as all encompassing, but uh, but I will say Twilight Sparkle does have a nice big ballad in the middle, and it's nice to see her step out on her own for that song. I got to thinking about movies that we watched when we were kids, like in the eighties, and. I feel like most of the kids' movies were either really bad or really depressing or both. Like, like everybody remembers The Little Mermaid from, like, 1992 or whenever that 80, one came. 89. 89. Yeah. No one seems to remember, like, the previous Little Mermaid. Like, the one – you know, like, the, the – the, it wasn't Disney. It was those animation houses that would do those independent animated films, like Watership Down. Okay. You know? Uh, and and that original Little Mermaid, like the girl dies at the end. Like there is no like happy <laughs> happy reunion with the prince. It's this. It, I mean, it's why when the when, I've never gotten into the Little Mermaid as a movie because I have such a bad memory of the original Little Mermaid, the one that that you know wasn't all happy and Disneyfied. Right. Um. You know that. I just feel like there were several films like that that just they they were just dark at at their core. Like the Black Cauldron was kind. Kind of dark at its core. The right. the, se- the secret of Nim mm-hmm. was an incredibly dark at its core. I'm sure. I think we've talked about this already at some point on the on in the course of the show. But um, I mean, Disney gets ragged on a lot, and I uh, I think for some good reasons. But they really do deserve a lot of credit for like not allowing scary children's movies to be made that you felt compelled to watch before because you were a kid. Because I feel like that was the mo in the 80s a lot Ab- of times. A- absolutely. Although, um, oh. 
Now I'm blanking on the name. Zootopia, the Disney movie that just came out this past summer. That was that's a dark movie. Like hmm. we took we took our daughter to that, and that's a little too a little too grown up, I think, and um, a little too yeah, really kind of dark, and the skewing to appeal to the grown ups version of it. Uh, but yeah, we were talking about this the other day. We were talking about it with our daughter's teacher, like the family and kids movies from the '80s that we grew up with, like. E.T. and The Goonies, and they're not bad movies, but they're always a little bit more grown up than you remember them being. Or which like, might, which uh, might actually not be a bad thing. Maybe, maybe that was actually helping us mature slightly earlier because now it's like there's almost no semblance of anything grown up in any right. of the movies aimed at that, and and I feel like it just it prolongs this this infantile status of a lot of kids because they never get exposed to adult themes because everybody's scared to death of exposing them to adult themes. Maybe, although my kid does watch both the original and the new Ghostbusters movies, so, you know, she's she's good on the adult themes. Were those really kids' movies, though? Ghostbusters? I'm not oh, God, no, no. Well, no. that's the point. I mean, I, it's... They're, they're, okay, if you've got parents Fam- who will let you watch Fam- adult movies, I'm, but I'm family movies, but, yeah. but, I mean, but I mean, from the standpoint of... E.T. was definitely a movie aimed at children. True, yes. Whereas Ghostbusters was aimed at teenagers or young adults. Sure, yeah. That's that's a good, that, that's a good point. It's been so long since I've watched E.T. I only have, like, the vague memories of... I can't like, think the, of... A... The snippets that I, I like, like, the, 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 the bike going in the, in, in the, in yeah. the, in the thing and like Drew Barrymore yelling. But other than that, I don't really remember much about the actual movie. Well, I remember there were Reese's pieces yes. involved. Right. And I remember AT gets drunk on beer. Right. And I remember right now, the, this is like my freshman year in college. So the, I mean, the yeah. kid, uh, the kid, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> I remember the one kid, uh, trying to make a bad Uranus joke as, as he and Elliot are walking to the bus stop. That was early on in the – you remember that, don't you? Yeah. Um, and then, um, yeah, that's about it. And I most of my other memories of the film I think are mixed up with the Atari game. Oh, uh, God, the Atari game. Yeah. Yes. That is the most impossible game in the history of the, of the Atari system. It it's was, really bad. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I, I wasted so much of my youth trying to get E.T. out of the pits of those games, and that was yeah. brutal. Uh, um, anyway, um, uh, from ET to beer, what, yes. what are, what, what's on the docket tonight so for tonight you? I have the empire brewing company, which is based in Syracuse. They have a great brew pub down in armory square. Um, they just recently started bottling, uh, in, within the past, within this year, they started bottling some of their, uh, some of their brews. And so I have the white Afros, they're Belgian, uh, Belgian style wheat ale with lavender, ginger, and lemon peel. I uh, hmm. got it for a bonfire the other day. Really good, full. It has a good good balance of the flavor, so it takes away some of that kind of bite that you can get in a Belgian sometimes, and make, it makes it a little bit of an easier drinking than some kind than a lot of the traditional Belgians. So it's like a good small brewed version of Blue Moon. That sounds interesting. I think my wife would really enjoy that. Yeah. I have. Um, I think we, I, I think I had this one once during uh one of our lost episodes okay uh, but uh, this is the upland oktoberfest log okay. actually a very good oktoberfest it's uh, a little higher on the uh, abv okay and uh it's a bavarian style lager but uh, but a nice smooth drink a nice smooth finish um it's funny because uh, uh, people's reaction to oktoberfest beer 
uh, I think mimics their reaction to a lot of other beers that actually taste pretty normal, Mm -hmm. but because they have a funky name, they're frightened to death of tasting them. Like people not wanting to drink uh, stouts or porters because they think that they're going to taste like sludge or people not wanting to drink rattlers because they think it's got some kind of bizarre element to it, which I mean, rattlers kind of do, but it's bizarre in a way that most non-beer drinkers would probably really dig. Right. Um, so, and I think Oktoberfest people think, Oh, Germans get drunk during October. Therefore these must be really high alcohol beers. And I mean, they're slightly higher, but there's not like they're that different from a normal lager. No. And I, and, and I tend to like the Oktoberfest a lot. We've mentioned this last week, you know, uh, over instead of the pumpkin ales, but the Oktoberfest just tend to have a really good kind of rich, full, very Malty. fall malt Malty. flavor to it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah no, I I think that's I think when we wake up from our hops hangover in uh, in Beerland, yes. we're going to start re-embracing malt and the flavor that it provides. I, uh, I feel like we're getting there too on the on the hop hangover. I feel like the the more I, every time I, when I go through the craft beer sections now, it's it's less all IPA all the time. There's a lot right. more variety to it, which is good. We needed it. I mean, and I look, I love a really good hoppy beer, but my stomach also can't handle it. Like it's like it's 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 uh, it's just it's hard for the body to take. Right. And and so, you know, I think a move towards a, a more reasonable type of flavor profile is certainly in the cards here. Well, and, and just kind of that realization that not an IPA isn't perfect for every situation and every weather and every meal or, you know, a, 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 every kind of social setting. So yeah. one bit of follow-up I have from our, our awesome candy discussion from last week. It was after the episode when uh, my sister, Amy Moritz, wanted to chip in with the worst uh, – her vote for worst candy being marzipan. Okay. So I just want to kind of note that on the mm. record. There was also a, uh, a really – Marzipan. Marzipan. There's also a really good uh, – Joe Pisnanski's weekly podcast that he does with Michael Shore. Uh, they do a weekly draft every week, um, like a ridiculous draft. And this week they drafted best and worst Halloween candy. So mm-hmm. obviously we set the tone for it. Um, it's definitely worth a listen. It's it, it's very funny. It's it's a fairly amicable draft, and then it goes off the rails when <laughs> uh, in the, in the third round Joe picks uh, bite sized Hershey bars as his favorite third best Halloween candy, and he gets mocked for it. And then Michael Shore picks Butterfinger as number three, <laughs> and it's just it, it's it's worth a listen to. I'll throw a link in the show notes to that dust um, off and nuke the site from orbit it's the only <laughs> way to be sure I mean, <laughs> man i you know i will say i never thought i'd get to this point the the uh, the special dark miniatures mm-hmm. in the hershey thing those are pretty good okay the other ones no all right i was always a fan of the crackle I, i'm a big fan of the, of the little miniature crackle um but that was the only one that i that i truly truly liked um but like I said last week, like, like I talked about last week, I'm a, I'm kind of a devoted fan of Hershey chocolate, and I think it it, it tend to get it tends to get underrated, um, more so than other. It it, it tends to get over criticized, I should say, uh, compared right. to what it is. So fair enough. Um, so you had some really really good topics, and I had a ludicrous one. Um, yours are very serious and really good for discussion, and mine is insane. And you could tell I gave it to you while I was eating lunch. But, um, <laughs> but I think it's really – I think we, we can help some people today. So which one do you want to tackle first, football or politics? Um, well, actually, I guess technically it's politics, although I um, I wasn't throwing that topic out from a political perspective. Okay. Um, and, and, and so it was actually – 
Uh, well, okay. I guess I guess I was there. So there were three things that I wanted to mention. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're um, you're getting all max headroomy on me here. I'm okay. noticing. Really? So just 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 okay. to let you know. Okay. Um, so I, I wanted to touch briefly on the the Ken Bone situation. <laughs> um, and you know, so here's like. This has not only had a predictable trajectory, but it's also had a predictable media response. And I think the media response has been the wrong one. Okay. Um, so for those who haven't been following, you know, the Ken Bone story from the previous debate, kind of it's supernovas and everybody like, you know, Ken Bone like gets all these memes and, you know, people uh, have all kinds of fun things and nice things to say about the guy. And he does like a Reddit AMA. And then and when we talked we, last week, just to, just to, and when we talked we did our podcast last week, it was just as Ken bones star was rising and we both came down on the, this is really cool. This is great. Everyone seems to be re- being nice to him and, you know, coming off the dumpster fire of the, of the second uh, debate. That was kind of cool. Right. So then people start looking at his Reddit profile which if you you know if you're on Reddit you can click on a person's name and if they've been using that name consistently you can go back and look at all their conversations so predictably that's what people did and they found oh this guy isn't the pristine person we were making him out to be you know mm-hmm. he he uh, admitted to like participating in in, in a, a small insurance fraud and he uh, you know made comments about porn videos and stuff like that and so you know this suddenly turns into um, people basically questioning. Well, first of all, you know, well, this guy's actually kind of an asshole. Da 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 da. So that happens, and then then there's the reaction of you know we 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 you know this is this is why making humans into memes are bad ideas. Da 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 da, and. I get all of that, but you know, to me, the biggest takeaway from this whole thing is that we seem so freaking desperate for two-dimensional people in this world, uh, at least in at least in the public media sphere. Um, and this idea that we can take a two-dimensional figure, even if they're a real human being, and project onto them whatever we want, and that ends up being who they are in our minds, and if that ever deviates then there was some kind of problem with the process. I mean, to me, it's just like, I mean, I look at it and I say to myself, this, none of this has made any sense. None of this has been worth focusing on. It wasn't worth making a big deal to begin with. And it's like, it it had such a ludicrous trajectory. The story did from beginning to end Mm -hmm. because we, we keep taking the internet, which is basically a bunch of two dimensional representations of people, the way that they want to be projected out to people and trying to transition it into a three dimensional projection of like a completed person without ever worrying about what the rest of the contextual evidence is. And then when that comes in, then people freak out. It's just, it's just like, I mean, it's, I'm not even complaining about it. It's just kind of it's, – it's funny to me to watch this situation happen over and over again, not just with Ken Bone, but with a bunch of different aspects of sports and of pop culture uh, because it's like it just – it's always the same stuff. It's mm-hmm. always the same process. And you know, I, I guess 
to me, it just it, it gets to a point where it's ludicrous that people continue to spend so much time doing this stuff when it always ends up happening pretty much the same way. You mean people spend so much time like doing the Ken Bone? Let, let's just do do Ken Bone as the uh, as the proxy for everything here. Um, Ken Bone do, people when you say doing stuff, doing this stuff, people like writing the pro and doing the Ken Bone means before, or like the people at Gizmodo who kind of went through his Reddit, or just like every every actor in this whole every aspect, okay. every aspect of it. I mean, at the end of the day, you're taking, you're plucking an average person um, out of obscurity, and then they get blown up into this into this you know phenomenon, mm-hmm. and then. All of this time is spent. Like, what all? What was all of this time spent on over the course of the last week regarding Ken Bone? Like, it's it's the ultimate hamster wheel from from an internet culture perspective, and mm-hmm. it's it's part of the issue that I have with the way that internet culture is has 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 operated. And this, and believe it or not, this is a big preamble to the political thing that we're about to talk about. Um, so you end up with these small wheels that people keep going around and around in where they, they pick a, an individual or, or a topic. It doesn't have to be an individual sometimes. And for a short period of time, they focus all this attention into it. And then when it becomes not what they thought that it was going to be, they end up like either denouncing it or moving on like it never happened. And it's like, what did, what did, did we get anything out of that initial exchange? I don't know that we did. Right. And you know, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about kind of the Ken Bone thing in particular because I kind of, I mean, I kind of feel bad for the guy in a way. I mean, look, if you're going to become a person where that starts selling T-shirts and making, you know, making money off of this, the least you should do is know to create a burner account on Reddit or don't use your your existing Reddit account and well, make a new okay. one. Now, now, okay, I, go ahead. Okay, just uh, maybe, maybe yes. I mean. What I guess this is the other aspect of this, without you know, without necessarily condoning any of the individual actions that we saw from this guy's Reddit account. Like, what exactly did we, what did what did we see other than the insurance fraud thing that was really bad? Nothing, nothing, nothing that was horrible. You know, and the even the insurance fraud did not seem. It was not like he admitted to killing a guy. Like it was not good, but it was not you know. Not the worst thing, you know, and I'll say his his apology or like statement after the Gizmodo story came out was like one of the best kind of reaction pieces, reaction responses to that I had seen. It was basically, you know, yeah, I said all this stuff when I was thought when I was anonymous and now I'm not. And I can understand why I should why I probably shouldn't have said stuff like that. And I'm sorry. Um, But I do feel bad for the guy because like, look, he goes to the debate. He's, you know. He becomes this this meme overnight, you know, out of his control. Like all of a sudden, he goes to the debate, and all of a sudden, he comes home, and he's this guy, and people want to talk to him. And you know, I feel like, you know, of you know, did did I roll? Did you roll your eyes when you saw he was selling T-shirts or trying to make money on it? Of course you did. But but you know, when, when you sit down to think of it, if that were you or somebody you know, wouldn't you expect them to? Hey, I'm famous for ten minutes. Maybe I can make a little scratch off of this. You know why not? You absolutely, you absolutely do it. I right. mean, I, uh, you, you capitalize, I, and then all of a sudden, you know, then, then, you know, it, it, one thing I do hate about internet culture, like it's the media cliche, the cliche you always hear about media, they build you up to break you down, and I always hate that. But this is one of those cases where it is like, um, 
yeah, they, they, they start going back through his Reddit, you know, Gizmodo reporters go back through his Reddit, Reddit things, you know, at what, uh, you know, why, you know, are they you know, looking for the scandal, but are they looking to find out? It is just, it, it just felt like unseemly, like, not that we need this thing, but like, I don't know. It, it, it just felt so, like so many things in the, in this, around this election and this election with internet culture, which gets to your other, one of your other topics that I know you want to talk about. It just, it, it. I used this word last week and I know it's it's a vague term and I and I hate it and I hate using it because of that but it just feels gross like it, it just it, it a lot of like all we're everything we're seeing and with internet culture and the way this this election is playing out is you know the, the, this Ken Bone thing is a is a footnote to a footnote nobody's gonna remember it but you know except for I bet you there are three papers at AEJ midwinter about Ken Bone I'm gonna guarantee you that um but I, but um, I don't know. It just <laughs> it, it feels gross. It feels just icky, and I don't know. It, it's it, it's actually led me. We can, we we can pivot to the to the political t- discussion on this. But it actually has led me to try to actually start limiting a lot of social media time that I do, and and not for any grand political statement, just because of all the stuff that you know I'm you see and you read and you hear. It just it's just it's just tiring. It's just. It, 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 it's tiresome, basically. That's what it feels like to me. So it's interesting that you say that um, about limiting social media time. Um, what's the purpose of doing that? Is it because you feel that the discourse is beneath you or that you don't feel like you can emotionally or mentally handle dealing with the discourse on a daily basis? Or is it something other than that? Probably something other than that. I mean, is it beneath me? I spend a half hour a week arguing about candy on a podcast. Nothing's beneath me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, it's something more than that. It just kind of feels like, it, for lack of a better word, it's tough to explain. It just feels tiring and tire, like not tiresome, but tiring to like read and process, you know, the opinions and and um. And the kind of like collective outrage and the, I don't know, it, it just, it, it keeping, you know, it, it feels mentally tiring to do so. And I don't know, I don't know if this is, if it's anything particular to the election, if it's anything particular to the news cycle, if it's just, you know, hitting me, you know, at, at, at a busy time at home and work and like, oh my God, I need to stop dealing with that and reading, reading this so I have mental energy to deal with the other stuff to great exams and like do other stuff in my life. But it, it, it just, it, it, you know, it, it feels like you, all right, this, well, what is, this, this def- is something really vague. So go ahead. Define it. Like, what are you referring to? When I say it, okay. The level of discourse in social media, let's say that. So the, the kind of back and forth, the, 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 I'm trying to explain it. It's tough to, it's tough to come up with words, but like the constant barrage of, me being told what I should be outraged about today. Me being told what I should be freaked out about today. Who I should be okay. mad, who I should be mad at. Who I should what existential threat to democracy I'm facing today. So yesterday, just as an example, yesterday checking out Twitter and seeing the Sunday morning talk shows, and everyone talking about how it's a rigged election. The knucklehead and knucklehead sheriff in Milwaukee t- saying it's pitchfork time. The story in the Boston Globe about the uh, uh, quoting people who quoting the, the like white supremacists who are going to be watching uh, 
the uh, minorities with guns and, and like basically threatening them at um at, at the polls. And I don't know. It it, it just it it's. And not just seeing those stories, but seeing the their their endless repeating and retweeting, and and Nelson's on my side. I want this. I want this on the record, everyone. Nelson's feeling me. He's on my side. Finally, I have. I have. I I I feel like I've arrived. Um, but no, it just it it feels just and and you know that idea of always being told. You know, not just reading this, but being told over and over, this is an ex- this is a threat, guys. This is a threat. This is horrible. This is serious. And I don't know. It's just you know, I'm not saying anything I'm doing is the right and proper and just thing to do. It's just kind of like my experience right now in in being on in being online and seeing a lot of the same stuff and a lot of the same the same outrage, the same uh, talking points and. A lot of the same new, uh, the same news over and over again. It just, it, it's just tires. It's just tiring to 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 see. And I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe you know. I'm in a mo- in, in need of a walk, a spiritual quest, or something like that. But I, it just, it, it it feels, um, like being connected as we are through digital media and through social media, is just kind of, you know, it, it sucked a lot of the 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 something out of it. I don't want to say the joy or the life of it, but, but like it just, every, everything burnt is burning really hard and really bright. And everyone is very fixed in their points of view. And it just, it, 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 it it's, it's not, I'm not finding it. I'm not finding it super enjoyable to be on a lot of social media. I'm not finding it super useful to, uh, to be on, to be on, so to be on social media, as much and I don't know you know in a week I could be completely over this but that's kind of where I, where, where I am at with this you know okay it's kind of endless election right now I think that endlessness has a part to it too it's been going on for so long and it feels like it's over and there's still three weeks to go and 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 it and it, and it feels like it you know it feels like it's never going to end and I don't know it, it does seem like like this election cycle, I've been talking a lot here. I'll let you talk in a minute. But it, it does fine. feel like if it does feel like this election cycle has brought out a lot of a lot more a lot more bad stuff than before, and not just and not just on um, you know obviously Trump and, and the way he's run his campaign has been a factor in that, but it just feels a lot more gross. You're gonna go back to that word again. It just feels a lot. All of it just feels a lot more gross than than it has in the past, I think. I don't know. What do you think? I think this is democracy. Mm-hmm. And what it's, what's funny is that real democracy, where like more and more people have audible voices, mm-hmm. it's actually really ugly and not particularly endearing from a political perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that's what we're seeing to a large degree. You know, it's anybody who's had a long term relationship with the internet, not with a person on the internet, but with the actual internet itself, anybody who's been using the internet since like the nineties or the early two thousands, you have almost certainly spent time on message boards 
yep. which were, you know, message boards still exist, and, you know, and they're the precursors for a lot of social media. They're the precursors for a lot of internet comment sections on newspapers or, or you know, media in general. Um, anybody, anybody who's been on message boards historically can't be surprised or taken aback by anything that they're seeing from a discourse perspective in this election cycle. And, you know, what, what we're seeing is nasty. It's not, it's, it's not, there's a very little value that comes out of it. Um, there's a lot of lies. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of misrepresentation of, of individual people's viewpoints, collective viewpoints. Um, there's a lot of, of, you know, martyrdom and feeling ganged up upon and things like that. And I feel like the way that the internet was built, you know, there are all these grand democratic ideals, the, this idea that you were going to have this space where, you know, the, 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 the average man or woman would have their voice heard and there wouldn't be this cast of, of, of editors or this conglomeration of media that would filter the words. It would be unfettered access from one person's thoughts to another person's thoughts, wherever they happen to be. And, to a large degree, that's exactly what we've gotten. And I think what's what's fascinating to me is this is the first election where I think everybody truly looked around and was like, "This ain't really very good. Like mm-hmm. this is not this is not what we had envisioned." But I think that this is this is how it is. Like you know, we get angry that that Russian hackers are um, not just breaking into the DNC's emails, but that they're also. Uh, basically going in and, and poisoning comment sections by, you know, drafting mass groups of people to go in and basically write, you know, one particular perspective, which drowns out everything else. Right. Or we're getting mad at, um, you know, roving groups of trolls that just do nothing but go around and poison the well. Well, if you think about it, that's kind of how humans will act if they don't have any policing. Right. <laughs> you know, I yeah. mean, like the reason that stuff like that doesn't generally go on in like everyday society is that there are laws and those laws are used to enforce behavior. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, even the staunchest libertarian, I think, would agree that uh, at the end of the day, without some kind of uh, force of law or, or threat of force of law, um, most people are going to devolve into, um, a very unattractive, almost animalistic sort of status. Right. And I think that's what we're seeing to a large degree. And I don't know that the American political system is particularly well built to sustain under those circumstances Mm -hmm. because, the American political system, for all of the you know the highfalutin talk about democracy and you know the people having a, a vo- you know the the ultimate voice in the government, at the end of the day, it it's a representative Republican uh, system right. that that happens to have an executive branch and a legis- and, and a judicial branch that that are co equals with the legislative branch, um, and what we're seeing right now is basically the um the subversion of at least two of those branches by the fact that 
people can be loud on the internet and it appears like a lot more people are interested or feel the way that, that the loud people feel simply because they're the ones that are making all of the noise. You know, it's fascinating what we're seeing right now with Republican uh, lawmakers who um, have gone from denouncing Trump to backing off denouncing Trump because they're scared to death of the vocal minority of their own voters. Right who are threatening them with all kinds of nasty things if they don't support the full breadth and width of the ticket. Um, And that's entirely coming as a result of social media and the internet. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, you know, so we we started with the Ken Bone thing in the micro, and I I look at that and I say to myself, you know, the the internet's kind of made to eat itself. You know, it's, 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 um, items are supposed to kind of spin off and become their own little hamster wheels and then fade into oblivion as, as the thing, you know, the, the, the death star of the internet kind of moves forward. But with politics, it's not the way that it works really, because at the end of the day, um, there's an actual vote that takes place. And if people are getting their, their news and they're networking with people for information based upon the things that they're getting off of the internet, they're occupying very, very um, non-interactive spaces where they're just interacting with people that they personally agree with um, or, or they're just endorsing things that fit a particular uh, column of criteria that they've decided is the most important thing, and whether or not the person or thing that they're that they're supporting actually fits that, um, it, all that matters is that they think that it does. Right. And so, the reason why it, this feels gross, as you have termed it, and I've heard other people use different terms for it, I think is simply because it's if you're going to pay attention at all to what's going on on the internet, you're you have nowhere to run at this point. Like there, there is, there is no, there is no ivory tower of the internet right now. And you can't have one without basically turning the internet into just a private network that only a few people can access, which defeats the entire purpose of it. Right. No, it's, and it's funny because I was thinking, you know, my problem, you know, I, 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 don't want what my 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 talk to say like this is a big anti-social media thing because this is I don't I it's interesting to hear what you were saying it's like I don't necessarily wholly blame Twitter and Facebook and and social media for the climate right now I think it, it helps perpetuate it but I think that these are like you said this is you know nobody who has been on the internet for the past 20 years is surprised that the at what Trump supporters and what now Trump himself are saying and and that there's a worldview and a belief system on this side. I don't think anybody is really surprised. I, 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 I think a lot of surprise is kind of disingenuous or surprised that it's like, you know, mainstream enough to be at this level. But I'm, I'm, I don't think I, I'm certainly not surprised that these attitudes exist. But I mean, it is just interesting to think about, you know, are we how much and it gets into a big thing in polit- in internet culture how much are our uh cultural what's the word i'm looking for not organizations but cult- cultural our, our organizations our, our our you know our our government our system of government our model of government you know much like our you know religions our business institutions our media organizations how you know they're how they're affected by this kind of decentralization of information. And that's, like you said, you cannot have like a, 
if you're going to have the internet, you're going to have a comment section. You're going to have to have, you, you know, you can't have the the internet without the, uh, without, you know. The, you can't the, have it without the people. You can't have it without the people. Social media is people, I, I've heard that you say, um, or I've seen that quote attributed to you. Um, yes. But so, yeah, you can't have it with, with, without them. And so, you know, you do wonder how much, um, you know, again, it's hard. It's hard to. I don't want to lapse into hyperbole, which is, you know, no, we never do that on this. show. No, never, <laughs> never. Um, but I don't want to lapse into like the the recency bias laden hyperbole of this election is going is a fundamental change to American discourse and American politics and and the American electorate and all that blah blah blah. Because um, I think a there's recency bias. It's easy to say that now. Um, B, we don't know, and and a lot of it's speculative. You know, we don't know how much of this rigged election stuff is. You know, is it really people going to believe it's rigged, or are they just, you know, are they the same people? Are they the same people who have been saying stuff like that since the, we were on Alta Vista message boards in 1993? Only now they're saying it on Twitter, and people are are following and. and, and you know, it, it's I got mean, to I got to say the, the the election rigging stuff. I mean, I, the hand wringing is getting extreme. Like the, I mean, the, the a lot of Kerry supporters were very loud in thinking that the 2004 election was rigged. Right. I mean, I, and that, I mean, you, you you could argue the 2000 election was rigged. In a you, I mean, bit. right. I mean, yeah. I mean, there have been there have been many many times that that Democrats. Have have claimed that our election system is rigged. I right. mean, through the entire two thousands, that was a common thread in our political discourse. Mm-hmm. So the idea that that somehow Trump is delegitimizing the American political system by talking about this, this is the sort of of hand wringing uh, stuff in the press that's really like becoming problematic. And and there have been other issues like that as well. But that's not what we're here to discuss. That's another show topic, I right. think. Um, but, but what you said at the beginning of this about how you're tired of being told what you should be afraid of, it's, it's the same. I mean, you're the stuff that you read, the papers that you read, I mean, they, they service a particular intellectual and political bent. Mm -hmm. Um, just like there are, uh, conservative, uh, you know, and and republican oriented papers that service that intellectual bent and they're all consumed with terrifying or trying to terrify the people that read them because that is what gets the reaction it's the same reason why your nightly news opens with you know whatever murders happen in town. It leads, yeah it, why you know i mean it's this is a this is a time honored thing i i just to me i think a lot of the 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 pearl clutching that's going on in the media right now regarding our political system is missing the point. The point is not that the discourse is coarser. Um, the, the discourse has, has alternated between varying degrees of coarseness and over the course of time. Okay. Mm-hmm. The problem is right now that you, that there's basically a complete decentralization of media messages, but unlike the traditional order of things where that was contained to the individual communities that people were in. Um, now anything and everything is findable, retweetable, repostable. And when you see it, you're automatically made to think that this is a clear and present danger to sovereign society because, Oh, somebody said this or someone thought this somewhere. And I just, I couldn't disagree more 
with that philosophy of thinking because at the end of the day, what it ends up doing is it makes you frightened of everything and everybody that isn't easily identifiable as completely corresponding with your own viewpoint. And, you know, that to me is the, if there is a danger in all of this, it's that. But then I think about it and I say to myself, you know, we had dozens of, 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 presidential elections where we didn't have a national television network. We didn't have a national radio service. We had national newspapers that only people in big cities read, you know, and somehow we got through all of those presidential elections. We voted on presidents. We voted on senator or not senators. We voted on representatives and we created, um, you know, what we now consider to be the good old days of American politics through a process where nobody knew what anybody was talking about. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, you're right. It's um, a buddy of mine. I was doing a study years ago. I think this is my master's thesis, actually. And he had something great about Twitter. And this was, I did these, in, interviewed him back in 2010, early, early 2011. So Twitter had been around, but it was still kind of in its, still kind of a new thing in terms of like mass, in terms of media use, in terms of mass usage. And he said something that it's always stuck with me about Twitter. And I think maybe this kind of gets at my, my frustration with with it is that you know and it's really smart it's he said on twitter everything comes across at the same volume and and it's that idea whether you and i are joking with each other matt zimmerman and i are joking at making my little pony jokes or i'm being told that you know armed sedition is going to happen if trump wins because his supporters will not accept hillary clinton's thing as president um and everything comes across at the same volume and you know it, it, it can be tough to remember that, but even if you know that, like that is one of the, I want to say flaws in Twitter, but thing to keep in mind when you're when, when you're kind of understanding it is that everything is the same volume and everything is you know kind of turned up to eleven on Twitter, and that's what what makes it great. That's why we go to it. It's fun. It's you know <laughs> to catch up to see what people are saying. Um, but <laughs> excuse me, but yeah. I but I do think that. Um, you know that that idea that that it's all that 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 idea that it's all at the same volume is just um and, and when you when you see a lot of the you know I do think the the discourse is a little is coarser this year than it has been or at least I should say the 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 coarse part of discourse has kind of moved into more in front of us than it has been in the past. I feel like maybe well, it's just the people I'm seeing that could be, you know, that's another thing that's, uh, that that's interesting to keep in mind about social media is that we're, we all see different things. So we see different because we follow different people. And even if we have similar interests, we follow different things. So all of our feeds are a little bit different. So what could be super coarse to me might be what you've been seeing all along because of people of who we follow and kind of our viewpoints. I just, I mean, we don't have, you know, pro-slavery and abolitionists screaming at each other in the streets during this election cycle. So right. I, I guess my point is, you know, th- there have been many times in the past where we've had, you know, insanely coarse and damaging political discourse. Um, I, I, and I'm not necessarily saying that the political discourse in this election is is great, but it's petty. It's not, yeah, you know, it's that's like a good it's, way of putting it. That's a really good way of putting it. I mean, there's no weighty, there's really no weighty issues being tossed around here. Like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's okay. The healthcare system is good versus the healthcare system sucks. Well, that's, 
I mean, if that's what you're boiling the argument down to, that the the I mean, that's no one's threatening death to right. to the other people through that process. Now we have had some death threats, which I don't even know if you can take death threats seriously with social media these days. Like, I mean, just to, to, to some degree, it's like like the Arizona Republic stuff. You know, they mm-hmm. endorse Trump, their editorial board gets death threats, and I'm like, welcome to sports, guys. Right? Um, you know, but. <laughs> You know, and I was talking to my class about this today, and I'm like, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to be the person that says don't take death threats seriously, but it's like within the confines of social media, death threats to me have always been like a product of people who don't know how or don't need to effectively communicate with other human beings, trying to say the worst thing that they can think of in order to make a point, because most of these people haven't been trained in communication, right? Um, so it's like, if you're trying to, if you're really trying to tell somebody something, I mean, you're going to say, I hope you die, uh, or, or what, or it's like, wow, your point is really wrong. Well, one of those two is going to come across to the person who's saying them is a lot stronger. Right. Does that mean that they're actually plotting to kill that person? That's where the big question about social media comes in because I mean, you take the volume of death threats that happen on social media, just in politics, and then you contrast it with the number of actual deaths that occur in politics, just in the United States. It's there's a disconnect there. And again, it it comes down to this idea of the words do mean things without question, but um, should we take them from a literal perspective? Like we need to treat this like it was a death threat being delivered in, in person. Right. uh, I, you know, or or like I don't know. I, that's that's where that's where I think the me- the mentality behind all of this is really interesting to me. I mean, because go ahead. No, I I, I mean I mean my only my only pushback on that would be like I get what you're saying that you know no I don't think they really mean ninety nine percent of them don't really at all mean I'm trying going to actively kill you. I think that's a re- you put it in a really good way. They're so angry and so upset that this is the only way they could potentially verbalize it. I just I don't want to you know. And I know it's the internet, but I don't want to. I I, I don't like a, a a culture, even internet culture, where a death threat is well, it's okay, it's a death threat, nobody cares. That should not be ever okay. And that's my point about this whole topic, which is this idea that the the way the internet is set up is is it's basically based around this idea that whoever can make the statement that leaves the biggest impact is ultimately going to be in control because at the end of the day, if that's, if if that's what we decide upon, if we decide upon this idea that a death threat delivered on the internet is something that we can't just laugh away and just say, Oh, well, you know, that's, it's just the internet, but we need to take this seriously. and, And our society won't let that stand. Then frankly, the internet wins and society loses because the internet doesn't care. Right. Like, I mean, the, you know, the people on the internet when you know, this is online disinhibition effect in full force. Right. Like if there is no threat of, of, you know, it's like swatting people, you know, I mean, if you, if you've been following that trend at all, right. um, you know, there, unless, unless I know that there's a threat that I am going to get arrested and put in jail for swatting somebody, online, then I'm going to keep doing it without repercussion, even though I could get somebody killed in that process. Right. You know, I'm going to, if, unless I know that the internet police are going to come and take my internet connection away and put me in jail because I threatened to kill somebody, then the words that I say actually have a bigger impact than any element of society can have on me. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and that's, I guess, my point is that our political discourse has existed and, 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 you know, whether it's thrived or not, it's survived largely because there are boundaries that normal physical society places from a behavioral perspective upon people. Like you want to go out and scream death threats at the president. Secret service is going to come and arrest your ass on the spot. Right. You want to do, you want to do something online where you're, you're threatening, you know, you know, bodily harm to people. Ain't nobody coming and doing anything to you. And, and, and that's, that's ultimately the big stumbling block that I see with all of this. And I don't think it gets any better unless we fundamentally change the nature of social media. And I don't know that that's coming anytime soon either. And, and, and so, you know, when I look at the way that newspapers or major, like, you know, respected news organizations are covering social media, as you said, all the, the volume comes in the same level. They're, they're treating what gets said on social media with the same level of respect and fear as they do everything else. And I personally think that's societally more damaging than if they just ignored it altogether. Okay. I see that. I I can see that. So by, by the idea, like you give it attention that, by giving it the attention, you give it the power. You increase the, the, the power rather than the opposite effect. By giving it the same level of attention that you give other types of communication, I think you create a normalizing effect that ends up making it more powerful than other forms of communication because it's really the only form of communication that exists without any physical or societal repercussion. That's a good point. Cool. Interesting. Um, you want to talk football really quick? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Right, so the NFL, the NFL is kind of fucked. Um, <laughs> they, uh, they, um, they're, they're struggling right now. And I was reading, I believe that they are down, um, what, 15% in ratings this year compared to last year at this right. time. It's, it's the biggest single ratings drop in the, well, I think, I think in history. Mm-hmm. And, um, of course they've done. The two things that everybody uh, in sports would expect them to do at this point, they've first they've blamed the election, right, saying that that's siphoning away voters which or is, siphoning away viewers, which is ridiculous. And then they've pretty much blamed social media, media. yep, uh, by 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 forbidding teams uh, from tweeting out gifts and and uh, and video clips and things like that. Um. What do you think? Uh, I, I have some theories both in like inside baseball and kind of in general about okay. this. But first of all, do you think the NFL is worse than it has been in the past? And how would you explain the falling ratings? First of all, shout out to the Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns for their uh, their gifts yesterday during the game where they used a the little electronic football men. That's trolling and, on an epic level. That was and, fantastic. And and the Jaguars oh, the who Jaguars. used okay. clips from. The Jags lose some clips from Madden. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, good for them. All right. Absolutely. Yes. All right. So, um, all right. So what do I think? Do I think the, I was thinking about this, this question earlier. Um, and why do I, do I think it's worse um, than it was in the past? And I don't know. I mean, my team's four and two all of a sudden, so I'm happy, but like, I was thinking about it. Like, I don't know in following in kind of following the NFL, the way that I do, it doesn't feel like, there's a lot of excitement or star power or 
a lot to the season this year. I mean, think about, I mean, Linda Cohen, we were talking before we went on air. She was on, on I hosted a Q&A with her at SUNY Oswego the other day. And uh, she mentioned one of the things that Tom Brady being out for the first four games, you know, take away one of the biggest stars. And I don't know how big a pa- uh, uh, and, and an impact that really had. And I think it's kind of telling that one of the biggest stars is, what is he, 39? He's my age. He's been around since 2001. Um, you know, you have, you know, who are the big stars in the NFL these days? Cam Newton, he's one in six and having a terrible season. Um, you know, I, 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 I you know, it, it just, it, the NFL from a, a purely fan point of view, like someone who watches, who follows his team and kind of tangentially knows what's going on in the league. It feels just, it feels down. It feels stale. It feels like, um, I don't know. This doesn't feel like there's anything. Does it cool. feel? Does it? Does it feel gross, Brian? No, it does not feel gross. <laughs> <laughs> I four weeks ago I would have said the Bills looked gross, but now they're on a roll. But um, but no, it, it it just it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like there's anything new and exciting, and there's like any great young stars. You know, I guess Dak Prescott. I don't know. It just it it it, 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 the, it, it there seems to be a lot of that excitement. I don't know. I don't want to say, let me back up here. It just doesn't, I'm feeling less of a reason, less a compelling reason to watch football other than my team or just kind of like, hey, it's on Sunday night when I'm upgrading or something like that. Like that, and there's nothing drawing me to the, to the games. There's nothing drawing me to the product at all. Um, And so, you know, I think, you know, look, I think the election thing is a stupid cop out. Um, I think if anything, you know, I, I would expect sports ratings to go up during the election because it's such a dumpster fire of an election that people want something else to focus their attention on. Um, I think I think that anything like with the Kaepernick, the Colin Kaepernick thing is ridiculous. Um, I think the social media aspect, I mean, I think it's interesting because I do like following NFL Twitter on Sunday and seeing like vines and the gifts come up of good plays um but i also think i was reading some things about it and i don't know if this was on the ringer or uh shoot um maybe awful announcing but like the you know the only way you can watch all the games is to have direct tv or pay extra for the red zone it just if the nfl does not seem like it's very super fan friendly on it but also and i'll and i'll let you get your theories which are probably well more thought out than mine but like every other sport and entertainment thing has seen its ratings fall in the past decade as we've gone to time shifting as we've gone more entertainment options digital media blah 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 everything we talk about and and study in our jobs and the nfl taking this hit you know maybe it's just the the crest of the wave and the NFL couldn't keep growing in popularity forever. And so instead of maybe it just gets to hit all at once. And maybe, you know, the concussion, I don't think the concussion stuff has a huge impact, but it's kind of like, you know, the drip, drip, drip. And I don't know. It just, I'm all over the map. What do you think? No, I mean, I think you hit along along some really good points there. Uh, I, I think the first thing you said does make a lot of sense to me. I mean, look, the, the NFL, for really 20 years has been selling this concept of, you know, rooting for the teams right. and not necessarily rooting for individual players. Right. And, you know, despite that, we've had a lot of really good individual players, you know, players that have had iconic careers over the course of the last 15 years or so. But a lot of those players are either gone or very much on the downside of their career or in the case of Tom Brady, were suspended. Right. And, 
you know, the the NFL eventually the the the, the problem the NFL sowed for itself, I think, over time was that it it created a situation where it was impossible to follow along with all of the different storylines going on in the NFL and the combination of individual teams lack of consistent success plus the amount of money that it costs to either go to a game or to pay for all of the things that you would need in order to follow your team on a regular basis started to grind down the number of people that were particularly interested in it And, and look I do think that um, the, uh, the way that the league presents itself now uh, uh, from an on field perspective is it's hard to follow. I mean, like the, there, you know, the, it's an over litigated league and I mean, it's yes. always been, it's always been bad from that perspective. But, you know, when you, when you look at the combination of just a few things, um, the way that catches are defined or not defined, the way that impermissible hits on receivers or on quarterbacks are defined or not defined, um, the way that concussions are dealt with and the way that, um, you know, replays themselves are dealt with. I mean, it is, it is such a, a sport consumed with its own minutia that, um, you know, if you're watching NFL red zone, it ends up being an okay experience. Cause you can skip all the boring parts. And that's what I watch. I watch NFL red zone or I'll go to Buffalo wild wings or, or, you know, one of the local bars that has the Sunday ticket package. And I'll be able to watch several games and just focus on the exciting stuff. Mm-hmm. But most people don't, most people historically don't watch that way or don't have access to that. And frankly, if you just have to sit there and watch, you know, an NFL game, even it's if it's brutal. your team, it's brutal. Yeah. It's it's just it's just not it's not as much fun because there's not much flow to the games. You know, I mean, I remember, you know, not to get into old man phase here, but but you know, the '80s and '90s were the games as exciting. I mean, they might have not have had the the potential for spectacular play on every single play, but what they did have generally was a lot more continuity. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, the games, the games flowed a lot better. Um, and I think that that really does weigh on the, the interest of the audience to consistently go out there and devote time and energy to following the sport. And, and look, I mean, it's, it's, it's getting to the point now, I think where the NFL, I mean, the NFL has the, I think the oldest overall median age of any sport, I think it's actually even older than baseball. Um, fan base, you was, mean? Uh, or players? Pardon me? Players or fan uh, in base? Term, fan base. Okay. Um, I'd have to go back and check. But, I mean, if, if, if baseball is older than the NFL, it's not by much. I mean, right. the volume of the volume of fans who are older on the NFL side is actually pretty severe. And they're um, – it's certainly run as the most conservative of all of the sports in terms of, 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 you know, how the rules are dealt with and how the individual plays are dealt with. And so I don't think that the, the ratings drop has much of anything to do with the election. I mean, there might be a little bit of an effect there, but I, but I do think what you're seeing is as cord cutting continues to become, you know, a, a thing, it's not as big of a thing as I think people thought it was going to be last year. Right. But, but certainly as time shifting becomes a thing, 
you you know, I think people just they 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 realize, you know what? Unless my team happens to be on, I really don't need to be watching any of the other games that are going on. Right. And that does kill the overall ratings for the league. And that's something that I think that they're going to struggle with for a long time now because they've they've taken the game of football and they've basically made it hard to watch unless right. you have a vested emotional interest. And that's that's a killer for any sport uh, that's trying to maintain a healthy presence uh, across the media boundaries and is trying to be bring in as much money as the NFL tries to bring in on a regular basis. Yeah. I think, I think they're, uh, you know, I just feel like their day is coming. Like their day of reckoning is coming. And just like every sport's been hit by it, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I think the NFL is kind of proving it's not immune. Although apparently college football ratings are generally are overall doing better or up. I'm, I thought I heard that on, on the radio the other day that, that college football ratings are not, especially not plummeting to the NFL level of the NFL. Uh, and I think that's interesting because, and I think this was out of awful announcing that piece I, I, I read that, um, like because of the end of it, the, the way the deals are struck with college football, you can watch several games in a day if you're so inclined. Whereas football, yes. you're stuck with three unless you have DirecTV, unless you get the ticket, or unless you know you do that. So I don't know. Yeah, it, it's yeah. about it's about sport popularity as opposed to being about right. you know protecting the local marketplace, and that's. Um, you know, I mean, that's a struggle you're going to have whenever you've got a system like the NFL has. Um, but but it's it is interesting that it's it's hurting them to the degree that it is right now because there's not an easy out for them at this point, right? Uh, other than making the games flow better, and that's going to take a lot of reverse engineering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even then, you know, I mean, you've still got the the discipline. Um, precedents that have been set by Goodell and companies so far. I don't know that this is something that's easy to dig out of. No. So let's get to my ridiculous question really quick so we can finish up here. Yes. Um, So I like talking about food and you actually said you have some thoughts on this. Um, So anyway, my topic, my random topic, the best food for leftovers. Are you going to go first? Yeah, I'll I'll go first because I was having chicken stew, chicken and biscuit stew for lunch today when that, that inspired it. And I think definitely the stews and the chilies definitely are, are, are foods that lend themselves to good leftovers. Anything that can kind of sit and kind of the flavors can meld and kind of soak in and overnight tends to be good. Like chili tends to be very good, if not better the, the day after than the day you make it. Um, certainly anything kind of like with layers, like a good lasagna, I, I, I feel can reheat well sometimes. Um, I, I, I get, um, you know, it, it's funny when I make chili, I end up just eating leftover chili for a month because I'm the only person in my house who eats chili. So I make a pot and then I'm like, well, that was dumb. Now I'm stuck. <laughs> I know what I'm having for lunch for the next three weeks. But your soups, your chilies, you know, that 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 tend to, I think, reheat well. And I, and, and I would assume it tends to be stuff that not only is thick and can kind of soak and flavors can meld, but the, there's some liquid base in there because the problem with leftovers, as I'm sure you'll tell us, tends to be how they dry out and they tend to be really dry. And so when you're trying to make leftovers, you kind of have to uh, adjust for that. Um, so I'm going to go chili as the best food for leftovers. Hmm, interesting. Pizza up there too. Well, it goes without saying, I think. Well, okay, so I think the key with pizza – and this is this is particularly true for um, for for takeout pizza or delivery pizza. the The key to making pizza leftover pizza taste good is put it in a plastic bag. 
Don't mm-hmm. don't leave yeah. it in the don't leave it in the box because right. if you leave it in the box, it will dry out. Right. If you put it in a plastic bag, it retains moisture for at least a couple of days, mm-hmm. and that ends up really making it taste better. Uh, it reheats better. Everything's better about mm-hmm. it. I do have to dispute your assertion that lasagna is a good leftover food. And I, I love, I love, I've, love I've lasagna. Had, I've had good luck with it. I don't know if it's just luck, I, but, I, but I tend to, 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 to have pretty good success with it as a leftover. To me, it's almost impossible to get the lasagna heated up properly um, yeah. in the microwave. And if you do it in the oven, that just takes forever. It's like see, baking new lasagna, basically, at that point. See, that's, that's my leftover trick that I learned when I was much too old to know this, is that you rarely l- microwave leftovers, you know, except for like the, ch- you, know, it, you know, at work, you're limited. But like if you're at home, you know, you use your stove, you use your oven. And yeah, it takes time, but then you're at least kind of getting a, a, an approximation of the original dish, which is what you want best of. If you're not going to make something brand new out of the leftover. Yeah. Um, I, I will I will go with something pasta related. Um, I think any good like pasta and meat combination, generally, if you're going to use the microwave, that generally uh, makes really good leftovers uh, because you can you can reanimate it with a little bit of butter um, or with a little bit of sauce if it was a red sauce that you were utilizing. Um, you know, but a good a good spaghetti and meatball uh, dish is, is normally, you know, I think well received as a leftover. Mm-hmm. Um, I think meatloaf actually does pretty well as a leftover yeah. because meat, meatloaf itself is kind of a leftover. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like, you know, I mean, meat, meatloaf is basically just kind of a leftover. Um, I will say, I think the, um, the worst leftovers tend to be the ones where like the primary ingredient is cheese. Because yeah. there's almost no way – like you get the flavor of the cheese when you cook the dish originally. There's, and then when you refrigerate it or freeze it, there's almost no way to get the cheese back to what it tasted like before. And right. so you feel like you're constantly chasing something that's, that's no longer there. You know? And so whether it's quesadillas or, uh, you know, or, or some uh, – it's actually the other argument I have against lasagna is that the cheese just – by that point – if you've baked the lasagna properly the first time, it was nice and you know crunchy and golden brown on the top. Right. When you reheat it, now it's just tough and a little bit rubbery. Yeah, and it ends up just not having the same punch. Um, certainly, yes, chili is an excellent leftover item. Um, I, I you know I make a good gumbo that ends up being a very good leftover item. Um, so yeah, I mean I, those I, your your thoughts are remarkably similar to mine on that front. I, I would think most intelligent people would think that way. Right, and you had a good tip to share with the audience over leftovers. You said it was actually the pizza thing. Is oh. that you, <laughs> you? You absolutely have to put the, the um, pizza no in in a bag, even if it's homemade pizza. Like mm-hmm. put it in the bag because it's just man. I mean. It's tough when you're like on day three of pizza and it's been sitting in the box the whole time. That's that's, that's by, by that point, it's it's you're just giving it to the dogs at that point. Right, exactly. You know, and I they're mean, not even eating it. They're yeah, they're they're, they're, they're insulted at what you gave them. Although uh, although I can give you a recipe that my wife introduced me to, and this works best with Pizza Hut pizza, but it works well with any kind of like Sicilian thick cut, and it's pizza eggs. So you take take your leftover pizza cold out of the bag because you uh-huh. like a gentleman, cut it up into squares. And then mix it in with some, and then make start making scrambled eggs and mix the the leftover pizza in as you scramble the eggs. So you kind of hmm. get a combination scrambled eggs, French toast, but with but with pizza. 
I mean, I see. it's not the healthiest thing you're going to eat to start your day, but it is quite good. So, you know what? I'm glad you said all that because it brings to mind my best and worst leftover. Now that I think about okay. it, okay. the The best leftover is waffles. Really? If you make waffles, okay. This is another great tip for you kids out there. If you make waffles. And then you put the waffles in the, let's say you put them in the freezer, okay? Because you're not going to have any more waffles that night. You take those waffles out. Take them out and microwave them for about 30 seconds. And then take the waffles and break them in half. Okay. And pop them in the toaster. Oh. And toast the waffles until they get crispy brown. So you get the crisp and then you get the the warm heated, the soft warm inside and the crisp. Yeah. It is really really good and actually my wife even though she won't want to admit it thinks that those are really really good okay uh, and um and and by the same definition actually pancakes terrible probably the worst oh, awful no leftover no, no. food but they can be made palatable by using this same method if you heat the pancakes up a little bit in the microwave and then finish them off in the toaster then they go from that kind of weird chalky consistency right. that most leftover pancakes have right. they transition over into a crispy consistency which oh. isn't like traditionally pancake but it's also at least decent to it's, eat it's, you've salvaged something out of it which is all you can yes. hope for at that point so i'll also say leftover sausage patties excellent leftover food leftover bacon kind of iffy no kind of no, iffy no well i never have who has who has leftover bacon who doesn't eat all the bacon <laughs> that's just wrong <laughs> Anyway, so I think I, that, yeah, that wraps it up. As you want to, no, I think we've helped a lot of people today. Yeah, uh, uh, put your waffles in the in the toaster, folks. It's it's, <laughs> it's it's the way to go. I promise you that. Um, well, I think that's it then. I don't know if yeah. we have any anything else. No. Any other any other comments on any other topics? No, I think I think we're good. Um, All right. Yeah. So uh, hopefully, well, technology is in our favor again. Well, well, I think um, my my yeah, we'll talk about that afterwards. But folks, thanks for listening. We enjoyed it as always. Um, be sure to hit us up on Twitter or Facebook if you have anything that you'd like us to talk about in the future. Absolutely. And uh, otherwise, for Brian Moritz, I'm Galen Clabby. We'll catch you, folks, on the flip side. See ya. So long. Everybody.